When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everyone, this is the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast, an iHeartRadio and Dan Patrick Podcast Network production. I'm Alan Nevitz. And I'm Joey Santos. And this week, we're talking to acclaimed filmmaker, philanthropist, author, human rights activist, and my dear friend, Sonia Nassery Cole. Who I've met recently and really, really like. A very classy woman. She is an incredibly talented filmmaker who carries the love and stories of her home country into her work. This episode, we're going to talk to her about making movies, her passion, her career, and our theme this week, pushing boundaries. So let's grab this drink that I created, of course, for her, and let's dive in. (laughs) Okay, Joey, I'm almost too deep into these cocktails. It sneaks up on you, doesn't it? What the hell is it? Well, yeah, because it doesn't taste like alcohol. It tastes like a nice tea. But with a little, I don't know what it is, but let's go. What is it? Well, this is the funny part because Sonia, she doesn't really drink. She'll have a little tequila. That's her drink. But she loves chai tea and it's relaxing for her. So I made it even more relaxing by um, adding a little bit of um, Bailey's Irish cream. Ooh, which I love. Fresh whipped cream and a little bit of cinnamon which on I top. Love. Which and I, I love. serve it warm and it can be done either way. It could be iced or, or not. But the funny thing is it does, it relaxes you to the point that it's like, how relaxed you are right now. <laughs> Silly relaxed. Should I stand up or should I keep laying down? If you can stand up, try it. <laughs> but it's called Once Bitten, Twice Chai. It is really, really good. This is such an easy drink to make. Tell them exactly sort of how to make it because it's so easy. And I'm on my number two and I'm look at. Yeah. I only need, I'm almost ready for number three. Well, that's easy to do. It's very simple. Just get your chai tea, steep it until it's nice and strong. And then add a shot or two, depending on your preference, of the Baileys. And then pour your chai tea in, top it with fresh whipped cream, and sprinkle with cinnamon. One, two, three, done. It's, you serve it warm, you can serve it iced. I like it warm, especially on these chilly evenings. It's great. So Yeah, I like it warm, too. I'm afraid to ask how much Baileys you put into mine. <laughs> I put two fingers. Two fingers. That's what's about a shot. You know, okay. about a shot. But you can do what you want. If you like it a little sweeter, add more. You know, but that's all. 
It's, it's, it's so simple. I encourage you to make it. It's really good. And you know what? It's a good fireplace kind of drink. It is. It is. It's, you know, it's, yeah. I'm loving it. Yeah. And like I said, you can you do crushed ice. It's great, too. So it's like, an, you know, it's kind of like an iced chai latte almost with a little kick. After I have my martini, I might have to have one of these. <laughs> That's your dessert. Yes, it is. Actually, that's not a bad by dessert By the way, drink. this would be great over great a dessert. vanilla ice cream or something. Yeah, you can pop vanilla ice cream and then make it really cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good that's idea. That's a good idea. Put a scoop of yeah. vanilla in here. And then have serve it with a chocolate, piece of chocolate cake. Hello. <laughs> oh, good. I'll have to have another one now. <laughs> All right. Hey, what was your guilty pleasure this week? Um, well, we were in New York last week, so I think my guilty pleasure was there. I was taken to this restaurant by a friend in New York who lives in Brooklyn. And I haven't been to Brooklyn and I can't tell you how long it's been. My grandfather, one of my grandfathers, my grandmother was married five times, the last one she had. He owned a bunch of buildings in New York and he owned an apartment building on um, 18th Avenue in Brooklyn. It was a high-rise building. I remember that my grandmother had the whole top floor of that building. And so when I went to Brooklyn, uh, I was able to drive by that building and, and kind of revisit it. It was interesting to see that, you know, to relive that memory. And I was just a little kid. What 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 is high-rise? Because then, high-rise then and what it is now. 10 floors. Right, because now there's Now they're major. like 20, 30, yeah, no, yeah. 10 floors. And it was built back in the 50s or 60s. Right, or okay. Interesting. So anyway, the point is, she lives in Brooklyn. She invited me to dinner that her son works at, and it's called Michael's. Of Brooklyn, and they they make their own sauce. They do everything from scratch. You can buy the sauces at Whole Foods. You can get them at Gelson's, all the better stores, Bristol oh, nice. here. And they also sent me a case of the sauce in all different varieties. Fabulous! But my guilty pleasure again was eating that Italian food, which we don't really get here from the authentic Italian. Everything is homemade, from the pasta to the sauces to the breads to the desserts, the cannolis, and I pretty much ate it all. Wow. I know. Andrew well, and I Well, we could mention that back. restaurant again if they send me a case of sauce. Well, you know what? I have some extra <laughs> jars and I'm happy to No, I don't want some of your pour them I want over my your own head. case. <laughs> Especially with the big chunks of garlic. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll make that call for you. It's delicious. And I know how you love to cook Italian. You're famous I, for your lasagna. I know. And that would I make am famous um, for that, my lasagna. Use that sauce it would be fantastic. It's so fresh. They were so kind, so generous. Um, the waiter was fantastic. I mean, you got service again. You walked into a restaurant, you were greeted, and you were seated, and you were your chair was pulled out. You were slapped on the back of the head like a real Italian. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was great. And then, I mean, everything was fantastic, and the food just kept coming and coming, and I kept eating and eating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm getting fat. I'm getting fat from that trip. Anyway, the restaurant was fantastic. The service was great. The food was impeccable. And it's called Michael's of Brooklyn. So even if you're at your local grocery store here, well, your only high-end grocery store here in Los Angeles, find that sauce. It is unbelievable. And if you ever find yourself in Brooklyn, go to Michael's of Brooklyn. It is so good. And tell them Joey sent you. Well, so that what sounds was your, great. Uh, what was your little guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure, I think, now that I hear all that, is watching you go to that restaurant without me and get fatter. You know, it's the <laughs> er part that hurts. Because that implies that I was fat, which I'm not fat. I mean, I put on a few Q pounds, quarantine pounds, which I've already lost pretty much. I have a few more to go. But that dinner did not help. But it's the er part. It's the er, the fatter. I'm going to remember that when, okay. you, when you want that sauce. The good news is that you don't remember much, so I'm safe. <laughs> 
You're racking them up. You are. I'm going to take a pen and make notes. You'll one, need a pen because that's the only way you'll one, remember. Two. <laughs> and your guilty pleasure was what again? My guilty pleasure was staying in New York and not getting fat by going to the Italian restaurant in Brooklyn. Oh, I see. Well, that's nice. You are well, whatever rather, floats you are your boat rather, or sinks, or sinks it. my ship. <laughs> I was just going to compliment you, say how svelte you look. Thank but now, you. It's off. Mm -hmm. The pounds are off. Thank you. I appreciate that. Svelte like it. <laughs> okay, we better move on. So this <laughs> week's theme is pushing boundaries. Oh, oh surprising. <laughs> yes. Who came up with that one? I don't know, but they must have been thinking about you. So, Joey, since uh, our theme is pushing boundaries this, this week, you know, is there a, an author or a filmmaker or maybe a chef that has pushed boundaries for you? I think there are quite a few in each of those categories. But what comes to mind right away when you say chef, because chefs, in my mind, from when I grew up and when I was watching those shows on, net, you know, on food channels and stuff, there were the great chefs that were instructional and you learned from and also had a sense of humor and a personality and you, you know, they inspired you and you aspired to cook like them. Um, nowadays, it's just more competition and, and it bores me. You know, a bunch of people running around the supermarket trying to hurry up to the clock. Right. But I really loved Anthony Bourdain, which I'm sure I'm not the only one. I mean, I know so many people did because I felt that he did that not only with his food, but with his energy, his personality, and also his manic behavior. You know, there was something behind all of that that was very interesting and painful to watch, but also incredibly knowledgeable and um, joyous. So, I mean, he was an incredible human being, and I thought his work was phenomenal, and his food, and his outlook on food and people and places, and the way that he focused on all of that was, 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 was amazing. So, and he pushed those boundaries in everything he did, so I miss him a lot. And his work. Yeah, well, I mean, that show was really interesting anyway, wasn't yeah. it? Who took over for him? I think Gordon Ramsay did now. Did he? Well, he's another one. I, I he's thought another Phil one. Rosenthal's show that we talked about was sort of, you know, kind of a replacement for that. You know, traveling around the bit, world. A little and... bit, but more with a sense of humor than irony. I thought, I thought what Anthony brought was a lot of irony. Right. I love Phil and I love his show, but it's got that humor and that edge, but in a different way. Yeah, no, it's totally different, of you course. Know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, so we'll talk about pushing boundaries a little bit. Sure. Uh, you mean again? Yeah. Like the ones you did in the beginning of the show? Yeah. See, I'm pushing. I was I was just trying to go with the theme of the show, pushing boundaries. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, but it's boundaries, not buttons? <laughs> Triggers, perhaps? Well, I thought it was your boundary that maybe you went beyond. But we're moving on. <laughs> He's on um, today. Joey, we have an audience question. Oh. Trying to move on to get away from that topic. <laughs> uh, we have an audience question for you. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Let's hope it's not a tough one. So this person asks, do you have any suggestions or tips for my first dinner party post-vaccine? Oh, I absolutely do. Well, now, wait a minute. I'm not done. But first of all, I want to comment. You were having dinner parties pre-vaccine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I mean her or him. Read uh, that again. It says, any suggestion tips for my first dinner party post-vaccine? I've seen on Facebook that you've thrown a few gorgeous dinners. Why, thank you. Well, I have, but that doesn't mean I had gorgeous people over oh, to enjoy but them. I was there. My point. <laughs> it was me and Alan and Andrew and Will, the four of us, who mm -hmm. are vaccinated, have been vaccinated, and were negative and tested negative before I prepared these gorgeous dinners on Facebook. 
Okay. Uh, no, I do. Um, two things you can do. One, order in. <laughs> But what can we do for a change of pace? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think it's beautiful now. It's The weather is getting fantastic. We're heading into our, our late spring and early summer. It's going to be beautiful, and it is beautiful already, especially here in L.A. I don't know where you're listening from, but we're all moving into that time of year. I think pull out the grill, make some, you know, great steaks, and I'll give you some ideas as far as salads go. I'm doing this great salad lately. Uh, sort of like a summer salad with fresh strawberries and a poppy seed dressing and like a broccoli slaw and with seeds and nuts and a little pomegranates. It's really delicious. So I'll send you that recipe. I'll post that recipe for you. And I would do that with a great steak, maybe some um, a sea bass, a grilled sea bass with it, or salmon with a fresh pesto, which I make with spinach and kale, um, which is really good. And instead of um, pine nuts, I use almonds. So I'll give you those fresh summer recipes that look beautiful, taste beautiful, and you won't get fatter <laughs> by eating them. Well, by the way, you know, we do post dinners where we've, you know, set out the table and it's a lot of glasses and candles and things, but it is just as rewarding to go outside and have fun and do the thing and throw those paper plates into the when, trash. Uh, oh, paper plates? That's not. Well, you know me, if they're plastic plates, I think you have to wash them. No, no. You use porcelain plates or you use those good outdoor plates, but never paper plates. And especially if you have to cut anything, chicken or or Oh, yeah, no, of course. You can't do that on paper. No, but everything should be always nice. My mother taught me when I was a kid, you don't drink out of a paper cup. You don't drink out of a plastic cup. You don't eat off a plastic fork. You don't do any of that stuff. You use the best of everything for yourself first. Because then when you have company, of course, you share that. But you don't rush your meals and you don't eat at a, at a you know, disposable thing. Well, I was trying things. to avoid the dishwashing. Why? But you can do that with the plastic plates. No, but I mean those nice plastic yeah, plates. Yeah, well, nice plastic plates, but not those Dixie cups or what no, do they call no, those? No, no, not those that kind of stuff. But, but I hate Solzy that. I hate it because then they throw them away and I'm like, give them all to me. I'll God, wash. no, I can't I'll wash that. them. No, I have, I have a set of, I have sets of plates for outdoor and those kind of glasses, especially if you have a pool and yeah, all you have of to that. Use, you know, you, well, have you do to have to use anyway. plastic, but there's but nice good. plastic yeah, buy, and there's get, crappy yeah, they plastic. they have really nice, the design and all that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's nice because it, it is as rewarding to do that kind of dinner. It is. And it may, I and mean, if you, you did you a, if you did a seated dinner every night, you'd be bored. You want, no, you, but you the people change wouldn't be bored. No, and you know what? It tells your guests that you care about them. You know, the worst thing, and you can tell it in the food, the way it's presented, the way that it's made, the way that it tastes, and the way you feel afterwards, that's all, that's what it's all about. And especially at this time, you, the question was post-COVID, you know, or post-whatever that question is. Vaccine, yeah. Vaccine. And if you can't treat, we've been hungry for company and guests and, and for that human contact. And if you're just going to put a paper plate and then, you know, a boyga on the thing, and then, you know, what else, they, whatever you put with that. Here's some slaw bought, some store-bought slaw. <laughs> uh-uh. Pull it out. Pull out your good stuff. Pull out your good energy. Pull out your good food. Pull out your good plates and your good glasses and your good napkins and your good linen, your good silverware. And, and do it outside. good humor. And, and do, do it outside. outside. And then when you're done, anyway. smash everything on the ground, throw it in the pool, and then dive in. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're a cuckoo. <laughs> I know. So then let's move into the two peas in a podcast segment of our show. And what, what food are we talking about this week since we're talking about eating outside? You got something special planned? Yeah, well, I had mentioned about the uh, once bitten, twice chai drink. Yeah. And I'm going to do that iced. I know. I'm on I the, may even do I'm that. I'm on the third. I'm on the th- I once. Know. What is it? I'm three times bitten yeah. and four times. <laughs> chai slurred. Uh, I think what I'll do is uh, I'm going to do that as a as a, a frappe. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, then, what a good idea! Yeah, do it. Can little, you do it now so we can fill up my glass? Yeah, again? because it's getting hot. Like I said, even tonight yeah. it's 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 a warm night. I'm going to do a cold Thai noodle salad. Is that like with a peanut sauce or something? Yeah. What is that? Well, I, I may do. Yeah, I mean it's with the peanuts, a light peanut sauce, but with fresh peanuts. And julienne vegetables. That and, is uh, my favorite. So that's what we're going to do this week on video uh-huh. so that they can learn how to make that. Learn how to make it. It's oh, simple. I'll make that every night. That is my yeah, favorite. And with grilled chicken. And you can do it with shrimp. I'll give you some alternatives if, if you want to switch out your protein. But uh, I'll do it with grilled chicken then. So this week on Instagram Live, we'll do how to make this peanut sauce. And the drink. I'll show you, and the drink. I'll show you everything. And I'll do it. And you'll, it'll, you'll have it done in no time at all. I'm telling you, these recipes we're going to start doing for you guys, they're literally Quick the and simplest easy. and easy and fast because I know... Everybody wants to get out of the house and keep moving. So now you can have a life again or soon. So put these in your back pocket and then make them happen. Great. I'm looking forward to that because that is a favorite. So coming up, we have our New York interview with filmmaker Sonia Nasseri Cole. She is the perfect guest to join this conversation because everything she's accomplished in her career came to fruition because she pushed boundaries and stood up for what she believed in. I was so impressed by her. And when you hear her interview... I mean, she cried, we cried, it's going to make you cry. She's very passionate about her filmmaking and Afghanistan, and I learned so much about Afghanistan and things I didn't know and what Americans think it is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. And and what their passions really are and their commitments to to the world and to life and to, and to so much. I mean, you're going to learn a lot. If you're not familiar with her work and her story, uh, Sonia embarked on her lifelong journey of human rights advocacy as a teen. And shortly after fleeing Afghanistan as a teenager refugee, she wrote a nine-page letter to President Ronald Reagan, who in return invited her to the White House and then to testify in front of Congress. And since then, she has been a permanent fixture in the world of philanthropy. She founded the Afghanistan World Foundation and worked with the world leaders to rebuild the lives of refugees around the world. Her leadership and charitable work was recognized with U.S. Congress Recognition Award, U.N. Women Together Award, and a Peace Medal by the UN. And in 2013, she received the prestigious Freedom to Write Award by the Penn Center USA. Her background is amazing. And of course, she's a filmmaker. Yes. And she produced her first documentary, uh, The Breadwinner, I think it was, right? Yep, sure Followed was. by her celebrated feature, The Black Tilt, which is an amazing, amazing movie to watch. Mm-hmm. During the making of that movie, she lost her crew while making the movie, because they feared they were going to be killed. No, they feared death. Yeah. Yeah. And she became the producer, the director, and the actor in the movie. It became the official entry for Afghanistan for the Academy Awards and won awards at 11 film festivals. Following Black Tulip's success, she authored the book, Will I Live Tomorrow? It is a behind-the-scenes account of the making of the movie and of her filming inside this war zone, which was crazy for her, the death threats, the kidnapping attempts from the Taliban, and she continues to inspire and motivate the world on issues that matter. She just completed her newest film, I Am You, and she's going to tell us about that. So we'll be right back. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back, and this week we are in studio with Sonia Nasseri Cole. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to let Joey introduce you because he knows you much better than I do. Well, there's a lot to Sonia, and as talented and as beautiful as she is, as intelligent as she is, is as shy as she is. <laughs> or shall I say, as humble as she is. Let's start talking. Tell us about your new film. So I Am You is a story of an Afghan refugee boy whose father gets slaughtered by the ISIS because he wanted to take his children and his wife out of the country to Germany. And the son assumes the position of his father at trying to go back on the same trip that his father was going. And it's a journey of uh, him, a pregnant 24-year-old uh, Afghan women, an old man who has a album of his children that he wants to share with his grandchildren. And this journey takes them from Afghanistan to Iran, Iran to Turkey, Turkey to Greece and Greece to Germany. And through this film, we see what it's like to be a refugee. Nobody wants to leave their country, their people, their culture, their mosques, their churches, their friends, their schools, their culture to go someplace else. Refugees are very different than migrants. They leave because they have no choice. Bombs are dropping over their head and their family is being killed in front of their eyes. So this is the first film that you will see from the point of view of the refugees because we've seen a lot of films about what we see, what refugees are doing. In, this is them looking out, so we get to see their perspective. Their perspective, why they're leaving, how hard is this trip, mm -hmm. what happens when they arrive, how many survive, how many dies, and how many we never know what happened to. Because they are nameless, countryless, faceless. faceless. Mm -hmm. They don't have paperwork. Millions of them died from the coronavirus, but they are not part of statistics. Well, we should explain that this is near and dear to your heart because you were born in Kabul, Afghanistan. Yes. 
You are award-winning director-producer. You're the founder of the Afghanistan World Foundation, and you are the recipient, as I look at this list of awards, there's quite a few, but including the Freedom to Write Award by Penn, which is obviously in publishing a well-known organization. Um, and you also made a movie that a lot of people may have heard of called The Black Tulip. Yes. So that's just a little background of why this film and, 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 and what excites you about it. You also did your first documentary, The Breadwinner. So tell us a little bit, what, what is the biggest misconception you think of Americans and Afghanistan? Because, of course, it's a very strange relationship. We went in there, caused a lot of problems, started a war. The Russians had been there before us. It wasn't like it, was, no it wasn't like it. a new thing. Russia did it first, and then we thought, okay, well, they didn't do it right. Maybe we can do it right. What do you think the biggest misconception is for Americans on Afghanistan? Okay, I'm going to give a very short history okay. of Afghanistan. <laughs> That's good. We need a history. Um, Afghanistan is a country that is located in Central Asia. So strategic geographic location to the Persian Gulf, to Indian Ocean, to Iran, to Pakistan, who has nuclear, is extremely important to the world. If you really look at the map of the world, Afghanistan is called the heart it really places exactly as the heart of the body of the world. Mm -hmm. And when uh, Afghanistan had a kingdom for hundreds of years, and nobody knows Vlad, we were under this beautiful kingdom, and the country was very, very thriving. We had couture design come to Afghanistan before it went to America. From Paris, yeah. From Paris directly to mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Women were wearing mini skirts, walking on the streets, makeup, hairdo, everything, holding hands, husbands and wives, beautiful parties. It was very open country in the sense it was an Islamic country, but we had a lot of Jewish people living in Afghanistan. We had a lot of Christians living in Afghanistan. There, were, uh, there was no fanatism of Islam in Afghanistan. So it was a very open society. You choose whatever you want to practice and nobody questioned you. Then, in 1978, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan happened, which uh, threw the king, the cousin of the king, Dawood, at the time, which was just recently became the president of Afghanistan by the Soviet Union. And that was a very shocking thing. I was there when the coup d'etat happened. I was a really young girl, and I remember that overnight we woke up, the TVs, the, the radio, Everything was shut down. The only thing we could hear is Russian marching music, which was terrifying. Oh, yeah, it's got to be. When you, you are Americans, you don't know what it's like when your country is taken over by a foreign entity. It is terrifying. And then within minutes of that, we saw soldiers all over the streets of Kabul and tanks totally controlled the city. And there were two policemen with machine guns on each side of my family door because my father was um, a diplomat and working in Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I escaped Afghanistan, and I'm writing a book about that someday when I have the... It's hard to write. You don't want to go to those places. but Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to, 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 to bring that stuff up for yourself. It's, yeah, it's I see painful. you emotional. I see you emotional now. Yeah. Even just the thought of it. So. Yeah. Did you escape on your own with your family? Here you go. Yeah. Nobody knows really the story. I've held it for myself. I'm barely sharing 
actually my own family doesn't know. I'm slowly sharing bits of it with my son mm-hmm. about what happened. Mm-hmm. Christopher was born in the United States, of yes. course. Yeah. yeah. I think in Los Angeles. Yeah. I've known him since he was 10. Actually in Phoenix. In Phoenix, yeah. that's right. Got, yeah. To go back to Afghanistan, uh, the Soviet invasion happened, which took 10 years, and the Afghan freedom fighters, General Massoud, fought vigorously the entire 10 years. And we were very successful in Afghanistan to destroy the Soviet groups. But when it came to the air, we were completely helpless because we didn't have planes to drop their bombs. They were dropping bombs at us. And at this point, I was in America and I was working at UN. I wrote a letter to President Reagan and just like a, as a young girl thinking, you know, who's, who can help me <laughs> make this in, in this war, President of the United States. So I wrote a letter to him. He responded. That was the most miraculous thing that ever happened in my life. And he invited me to the White House. And he told me there is not much you can do, but there is so much I can do. Imagine I'm not even 16 sitting in the president's office and he's telling me that I can do so much and he cannot do so much. <laughs> and he said, let me show you something. He showed me a weapon, a drawing of a weapon. He says, this is called Stinger missile. And he said, this is what your country needs. And I said, what does it do? He said, even you, little girl, here in Afghanistan, I give you this. You shoot in the direction that the planes are bombing. It's going to catch it and it's going to explode the plane. I was like, I like this thing. And I said, okay, <laughs> let's do this. And he said, well, the problem is the Senate is not approving it. So why don't you go to Afghanistan, bring some children, testify in front of the Senate, and I'll be 100% behind you, and we can get this Singer missile approved. What? I cannot go back? Are you kidding? How do I go? He says, oh, we organize this. You're not going to go alone. And I say, I cannot go to Afghanistan. I ask for political asylum. He says, no, border, border. Bring children from the border. Long story short, we did that. I came to the States, testified. We got the Stinger missile approved for Afghanistan. It became the end of the Soviet Union as we knew it. I remember that. I remember when the Soviets withdrew from Afghanistan and Mm -hmm. it was big news because they had failed. And a lot of it had to do with the high mountains and things like that that they just couldn't deal with. They were up against people who knew better. And uh, they miscalculated the, 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 the spirit of the Afghan people. In uh, the first movie that you mentioned, The Black Tulip, so the helicopters that carried the dead soldiers from Afghanistan back to Soviet Union were called the Black Tulips. Mm-hmm. And they never had the kind of um, fight and, and loss of life of their soldiers. So to get back to your question, Osama bin Laden was sent by President Reagan, which was CIA trained from Saudi Arabia to Afghanistan to fight the Soviets. We gave them all the weaponry they needed, and it was an end to the Soviet Union after the Singer missile and all this. And we freed Afghanistan. All of a sudden, I was in Afghanistan when this happened. Men started shaving their beard, women taking their burqas off. There was freedom on the street. People were singing and dancing. When the Soviets pulled out. When the Soviet yeah. people that, and we kicked them out, and it was free Afghanistan. And then we made the biggest mistake. We forgot about Afghanistan. 
we didn't collect our weapons from Osama bin Laden. We didn't get Osama bin Laden back to Saudi Arabia, where he belonged. And we went and started bombing Iraq for no reason. And we found not one nuclear thing. And we got busy in that war. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, Afghanistan got in the hands of the Taliban. And the journey of the Taliban for another six and a half years destroyed Afghanistan, brought Afghanistan back literally a hundred years. They start beating women, chopping women's breasts off, chopping their lips off, their ears off, putting them on fire. I mean, the atrocities against women that are happening today as you and I are talking. It's horrifying. Are they that large of an organization that the population of Afghanistan can't resist them? Are they that controlling? It's brutality to the point of, it's, if you want to kill somebody, just go on the street and chop anybody's throat off. Yes, you can until you get arrested. In Afghanistan, the problem is they just have access to bombs because they're trying to bring Wahhabism, which has nothing to do with religion of Islam. It's a man-made religion under the umbrella of Islam called Wahhabism in Afghanistan. They don't know nothing about Islam, but in the name of God, every day they bomb. They bomb hospitals that women are giving birth to children. Babies are just born. They bomb universities. They bomb museums. Anything to do with art, with culture, with humanity, with education, they're against. So since Afghanistan has a government that is pretty much a puppet government of United States, and United States has their hand in the pocket of every warlord in Afghanistan, the president of Afghanistan is barely the mayor of Kabul. Has no power. Exactly. So that lack of power of the presidency of Afghanistan gives a lot of power to these thugs like ISIS, Hezbollah, and Taliban to destroy Afghanistan as much as they can every day. One of the biggest mistakes that is happening right now in Afghanistan as we are talking is we are negotiating with the enemy of the United States. Forget what a big enemy of Afghanistan they are. Not one Talib is Afghan-born. They all came from madrasas in Pakistan, from Yemen, and Saudi Arabia. Now we're negotiating with people who are the worst enemy of the United States. I find this deplorable. And they are squeezing the government of Afghanistan. This is what's destroying Afghanistan. So it really doesn't matter how long we stay and we don't stay. We leave. Whatever we do. Damage is done. The damage is so deep and so and to acknowledge them, the United States to acknowledge them to have a peace talk alone is extremely disturbing to all Afghans. Definitely to me that I'm fighting for the women's right every single day of my life. And to see that we went there for 25 years, well, 20 years. Today, the news came out that September 11th, 2021, we are pulling out of Afghanistan. It would be exactly 20 years. 20 years, a power like United States of America couldn't control this genocide against the women and the men and the children of Afghanistan. You went back to film this movie. Weren't you there? What was that like for you? Was that the first time in all of those years? And how did you, how did you prepare yourself for that? First time I went back to Afghanistan, I went through my foundation to 
built a hospital with the Medicines on Frontier, Surgeons of Hope, uh, which is one of the best hospitals in Afghanistan as of today. It was really the most airy experience of my life. Mm-hmm. I arrive at the airport and there are thousands of white flags in the airport flats of the, in the landing area. An Afghan was sitting next to me and I said, I think these white flags are there. He goes, oh, those are mines for planes to, to avoid. Wow. Just that chilling thought alone that you're really landing on a landmine because these Soviets put the kind of mines in Afghanistan that the, the oldest, most disgusting kind of mines that goes deep in the ground and you could go with a mine detector and you Wouldn't will not detect it. anything. Every year, slowly, slowly, with heat, with rain, with snow, it goes down, it comes up, it comes up, and you, so you don't know. You built a school there and all of a sudden, uh-huh. boom. And these were the ones that were detected that was close to the surface. And then I arrived and I saw that half of the airport was gone. Just like a bomb explode, a bomb did explode. It is so, uh, I never forget the immigration officer guy that asked for my passport. I have an American passport. I never had an Afghan passport because if you're born in Afghanistan, you don't need a passport. And he took my American passport and he looked at me and he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm here for work. And he looked up and down. Then he went and talked with somebody. He had big blue eyes and red hair. I was like, tall guy. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And he just then sat and just kept flipping the password, flipping the password. And then walked out again, came back again. I was like, oh, I'm just, they're going to take me to jail. They're going to kill me. I didn't know what's happening. And uh, all of a sudden, he just looked up at me and just looked straight at my eyes. And he said, welcome home. It was a moment that I felt such a sense of belonging. Talking back about refugees, the whole America's refugees. You know, we all came from different parts of the world. Uh, either our grandfather or great-grandfather or our father or ourselves yes, are refugees. It's a connection. It's yeah. a connection to the world that we ignore. You know, we deny so many of us. Exactly. But home is your home. Mm-hmm. In that, I was raised in America my, most, my adult life, you know. That welcome home from a language that I speak, from a mother language. No matter how horrible and broken my country was how dusty my people were, I just felt such a sense of belonging to that land that is packed with tanks and people that are so broken of all these wars, yet their spirits are up and everybody that you go and say hi just give you the biggest smile and say welcome. It's so beautiful, but so scary also because your people in your own land is not in control of your land. It's controlled by NATO, by America. Every step I went, I get stopped by Canadian, by American, by English, by French, by Italian, guards, police. Where are you going? What's your... And this is your home. Hang tight and we'll be right back. 
That three and a half months of uh, shooting the black tulip, probably, I will never be the same again as a human. It changed me forever. Imagine being somewhere for three and a half months and always sleeping with your coat, your scarf, and your boots. That's the only way you could sleep because any minute a bomb could drop and I had to run. Mm-hmm. And I would take shower in a matter of five minutes with everything st- standing there, shaking like this, and then barely dry putting everything back on. Three and a half months. It used to take you three and a half hours just to blow dry your hair. Beverly Hills. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? From a long way, baby. (laughs) You know, that is a very, very amazing thing you just said because I am the kind of person that raised in America and I've been lucky enough to have an amazing life. And everybody, I mean, I lost my marriage of 21 years because I want to do crazy things like this. And um, everybody looked at me and goes, look at your life. Look at what you have. Just get on a your Ferrari and go to lunch. What the hell? <laughs> With Joey. Yeah. <laughs> we did. With Joey. <laughs> and what, why are you taking such chance? But the day that I met the President Reagan, President of the United States, most powerful man in the world, and he said to me, one person can change the world. Do you want to be that person? That day, a strength came into my heart that I am here to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And because of circumstances of having a baby, being married, not being allowed to do things like this, I stopped all that, but I was still doing humanitarian aid for Afghanistan, charity work for Afghanistan. But my mission was to give voice to the voiceless people of my country. Yeah, well, if you didn't do it, who is going to do it? Who else is making films in America about Afghanistan? And being a woman with that kind of bravery and courage, you know, the strength that that takes, and especially against all odds, even under the best circumstances, a woman becoming a director, is not an, that's an uphill climb. Oh. But now add all these other pieces to that puzzle. I mean, you know yeah. my hat's off to you always. And, you. you know, the no, amount of amazing. respect I have, but also the amount, the, what I've always loved mm-hmm. about you and you and I have a long history together. I mean, 30 years as friends. And we've also studied together at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. She was very close with my father. Your father who, was uh, amazing. guided her a lot with her career. And um, so I've seen her growth. But one thing I've always known about you was that strength. And I've always sat back and admired. Admired who you are, not just as a person, but as a talented person that, you, you know, the talented director and actress that, that you have always been to me. Thank you so much. All credit goes to... Your father, because he was an incredible coach of my, was my directing coach. I was in Beverly Hills Playhouse for about 11 years, seven of them with Milton Gonzalez, the rest with uh, God Bless His Soul, Sergio Santos. And um, he was the one who saw in me something as a director that he nurtured. And he was a very straightforward kind of guy. People oh. would come and say, I want to be a director and we look at him and say, just, what else can you do? Can you sew? Can you <laughs> clean houses? Are you a good cook? Because it's, don't do this. It's not going to happen. But he really saw something in me. And he said, it's going to be a fight and you're going to pay a big price for it. But the other thing he said to me, he said, then you're going to win the biggest prize. And I said, biggest prize, what's that? And he said, up, up, all the way up. 
And I said, what? And he goes, Oscars. And he yeah. wasn't talking hot dog either. <laughs> yeah, right. No, Oscar Not Meyer. Oscar Mayer. <laughs> no, Oscar Mayer. And it really did. My it first did. movie got into the Oscars, which was mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have so many questions, actually. Yeah. Because it seems like for Americans, the whole thing now is, oh, we got to get out of Afghanistan. We got to get out. We got to get our guys out. Let's like, why are we there? But it sounds a little bit like you think we should be more involved. Is that? Am I reading that right? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Um, understandably so, because we failed. Mm -hmm. If we wanted to win Afghanistan. You need to get rid of everybody and do it yourselves. Listen, if I was the president of Afghanistan... Just saying, that's why my father said for daughter of a diplomat, you're the most undiplomatic human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> because, Except at a dinner party. <laughs> even then. Even <laughs> because I say my truth. I always say the truth. That's what I would have done. Immediately. I would have every single day hanged about 30 Taliban in the square in Kabul city. And you would have seen how quickly there will be no Taliban in Afghanistan mm -hmm. and how we would have controlled that government. And politically, as you understand, I'm sure you all know, it's not that we couldn't win that war. We could have won it. But there is so many political underground things. Like I said, strategic lo geographic location. Right. Everybody's maneuvering for their own. Brava. Yeah. Exactly. Afghanistan is the richest poor country in the world. The entire uranium of the world comes from Afghanistan. We will not have our cell phones, our computers, if it wasn't for Afghanistan. They go late at night in the middle of these mountains. That's where the uranium is. And then tanks comes and machines comes and the drilling comes and they're sucking the blood of those mountains from uranium, all precious stones. There is a lot in Afghanistan that is very rich, yet people are dying. In your heart, you don't believe it's futile, right? Or do you? There is hope because education is the answer to your question. Mm -hmm. And Afghanistan slowly and surely is getting educated more than ever right now, more than 20, let's say, the last 40 years. If the Taliban leave the girls alone, because 50% of the population of Afghans are women and they are totally suppressed not to go to school, they bomb children, girls' school, they kill teachers, they yeah. kill women journalists. I'll be lying to you to say, oh, if this happens, it's, everything is going to be fine. We don't know. It's going to be really hard. But Afghan people themselves have the power to eventually overcome the Taliban. Mm -hmm. So now that we have some background, so tell us a little bit more about this movie. So this film is coming out in um, end of May, and I am extremely excited about it especially what's happening in the borders uh, of United States right now, because I am a legal refugee that came legal with passport, with visa. And I believe as an American today that everyone should come to America legally. Migration per se, just because, you know, they are, don't like their government. They don't like their country. They don't like the way of life there. They don't like the education system is not a refugee that bombs are dropping over their head. I'm not saying that we have some aspects of that as part of these refugees that are coming in America, but not the way they're coming to America. I think they're unsafe the way they're coming to America. It's a huge responsibility 
for our government, which is a democracy, to treat them equally and well and healthy, I believe that they should help the governments of those countries to become to be strong and be pro-education and pro-healthcare instead of bringing these people in America in the way they are coming right now. I agree. Yeah, we both um, agree. Because America is America, is the most powerful country in the world, and because it's made by all refugees of the world and migrants of the world, we have a responsibility to take care of those countries that are run by dictators and they're destroying their, their own people and their own civilization. But politically, we can help. Financially, we can help. There is other ways we can help these poor people that are dying in these borders. We can borders. help to educate them. We can help. Uh, obviously, so people are yeah. very desperate. I've seen this in Syria because in the film there is a Syrian couple. I've seen this in uh, refugee camps in Afghanistan, of course, but in Turkey, they are treated really, really badly. You have to be very desperate to take your baby two-year-old and a four-year-old and throw them over a wall in a desert that nobody's around. I mean, who does that? You have to. This other side has to be so, so bad. Well, they've already taken so many chances coming up, you know, through Panama and up through Mexico. They're taking all sorts of chances. And that's why I've always said you can't be so cruel to say, oh, don't let them in. But you have to decide how do we fix the problem? Because like Syria, you know, they had to flee and Jordan took them in, which is not a rich country. They took in two million. We're complaining because we have 20,000 people. More than half of Jordan is... Population is refugees. More yeah. than half of their own population right. is refugees. Right, and they're taking care of them, and we complain for 20,000 people. Through IMU, you see the situation because some make it and some don't make it. Right. And then they arrive. And at the end of the day, the one that actually makes it to Germany, you look at it and you go, wow, was it worth it? Was it all worth it? Now what? It is a light through a window place we think we know what's going on but we don't i mean germany took a million refugees from iraq and afghanistan and syria without any paper nothing merkel took a massive chance everybody said she's going to lose her power in germany yet she didn't these people integrated into the society and they are going to be amazing gifts coming out of mm-hmm. germany because of these people in my film, they are not people that uh, are like homeless and living in villages and take their pot and pans on their head and leave. These are intellectuals. The Syrian guy is publisher of Damascus newspaper. The wife is a child psychologist. The, the woman in Afghanistan, is a, the young girl, is a doctor. She's a doctor. These are not stupid people. When these people, if we welcome them and give them a chance... They will add so much to our society as America is number one example of that. The best of the best in the United States that have made it to the top, that made America what America is, is those refugees that are winning Nobel Prizes and the scientists of the world and the best doctors of the world and the best professors in the world. Those are the people that added to America, that made America the most powerful country in the world. So I want this film uh, to... For the world to see and for the people to understand that, my God, they didn't know that. And embrace right. it. And, and embrace it. it and have empathy for them. We all can do something by giving a voice to them. Because when human 
rights is violated anywhere is violated everywhere. everywhere. Tell us quickly, where can we see this movie again? So it's coming out on Apple TV. It will be on my Instagram, Sonia Nasrikol uh, Instagram page. IMU uh, has an Instagram page, IMU Film. We will announce it on these formats, and uh, we're doing a big social campaign behind it. God willing, it will get some attention. Sonia, as always, I love you, and thank you for being here with us here in New York, and thank you for sharing your story. We can't wait to see your film, and you know I'll be right there at the premiere. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. That was really interesting. I could go on for another hour, I know, actually. For sure. I have so many questions. Well, we'll do it we'll over. go to dinner. Yeah, we'll do it over some chai yeah. tea. Yes, yes, over chai tea. tea. <laughs> Afghan green tea. Afghan My green favorite tea. tea. <laughs> uh, thank you both very, very much for taking the time to listen to a little bit about the history of Afghanistan. Well, enriched the... my life again, and, and thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say that was fun. It was super interesting because, you know, there's a lot of pain there with her. So I don't want to say it was fun, but I adore her. Yeah. You know, she's a really interesting woman. I've been to dinner with her since we met her in New York a couple of times. And she's a really fascinating woman. She was a dear friend of my father's. I've known her 20 plus years and she's always been just an interesting Every time I'm with her, I, I come away with something else. You know? And I mean, classy. Oh, very. She's so classy yeah, and so pulled together. And poised and, yeah, and, yeah and, and articulate and, and passionate. And that's, yeah. I'm proud of her success. So we appreciate you joining us today. And if you like the podcast, please, as you know, we would love you to rate it and review it. We appreciate your support. If you're new to the podcast, let us know what you think. And donut and donuts and donuts. Don't forget <laughs> donuts to eat donuts forget. so I can get fatter. <laughs> I'll never live that down. What's for dinner, by the way? Donuts. Uh, and don't forget to follow us on social media. We'll be posting recipes, photos, and links from each episode just for you. And we're going to start this Instagram live thing with our two peas in a podcast. So make sure you tune into that and get some good recipes and some great ideas. And we'll talk at you soon. Two Guys from Hollywood is hosted, created, and produced by Alan Nevins and Joey Santos. Produced by Lauren Boom. Editing and post-production by Nathan Moody. Music by Luca. Executive produced by Dan Patrick. It is also executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Panella for Workhouse Media. This podcast is a production of Renaissance Literary and Talent and Dan Patrick Productions in association with Workhouse Media. Two Guys from Hollywood is a production of iHeartRadio and the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.